Hello everyone and welcome back to another Sunday episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Today, we'll be diving into and completely through The Ruin of Kings by Jen Lyons. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined as always by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And just before we begin, we'd like to give a quick shout out to our newest patron at the Radiant level, Mr. Armando Urivez. What's up, Armando? Thank you very much for your support, dude. And uh, another quick reminder that for anybody who wants to be as awesome as Armando and get access to a bunch of extra content, including our episodes on short stories, a peek at our upcoming schedule, access to episodes a whole week early, and even the chance to suggest titles for us to cover in the future, visit our Patreon at Inking Out Loud. So, now, Drew, my man, the Ruin of Kings, I... Where do, how do we begin this episode? Well, we're not going to begin with the normal recap that I do. (laughs) Yes. And that is because (laughs) I did not finish reading this book. I got to page 227 and I was just done. I did not care for it. I thought it was very poorly written, poorly constructed. The story did not pull me in. I did not care about the characters. Um, it it just it did not do it for me. So I don't have a recap. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm gonna come in right after that and say that I also did not finish this book. I made it a bit farther than Drew did. I made it according to my e-reader to the 71% mark before oh, wow. everything that you just mentioned kind of. It was just too much. I mean, I was sort of, and I will say, I do have some compliments to give Jen Lyons. Uh, there were a few parts of this book, particularly through, I think it was chapters 15 through 20, I want to say, where things really started to ramp up. And I was like, oh, oh, okay, this is actually going somewhere. I'm actually getting pretty excited about this. Didn't last long. <laughs> Didn't last long. Somewhere between all of the sexual overgratification and the extended uh lectures about Kieran's parentage that kept having all these twists and turns and there was just ne- like it was just it was too much to keep track of i was just getting sick and tired of well i mean of of a lot of things that i'm going to be talking about in this episode going forward um i guess i i do kind of want to start with the compliments though because they're like less in number <laughs> what what i should i guess i should start by saying this drew what did you like about this book if anything so complimentary wise i will say this is an ambitious book it is a a testament to lion's mind that she came up with this idea and that she eventually put pen to paper and wrote this out I'm sure she has extensive notes and, and probably her own internal wiki or something to keep everything straight. I'm, I'm sure she's put oh, a lot of time and effort into world building. Um, it, it is a kind of an avant-garde narrative structure. Uh, there are, you know, you're going to see lots of comparisons to uh, Patrick Rothfuss with the King Killer Chronicle when uh, you discuss this book online. Um, you're You're going to get... Um, basically with this book, you're, you're going to get a non-traditional story, uh, style 
and I I'm willing to give her you know some props for trying that. Um, the <laughs> the the problem with it is that she does not have the writing chops to pull this off. Um, it it you know we can go into this a little a little more deeply when we start talking about style in in a few minutes here, but <laughs> mostly it felt like a complex story for the sake of complexity and that there was no real narrative momentum to it. And that it, it was just something that, you know, was like tailor made for fans of like Malazan book of the fallen who just want a bunch of capital words, you know, capital letter names that mean nothing, but you have to remember just in case they mean something down the road. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it, it just, it was not put together well. It, it lost me almost immediately. So while, while Lyons deserves some respect for trying this, I think ultimately she fell short. Okay. Well, I'll start by saying that I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Um, the only thing I would say differently is that this book didn't lose me immediately it lost me if i'm being completely honest about halfway through i was already having a lot of things to gripe about beforehand but i was also having a lot of things to really compliment her about beforehand Uh, but it was it was just the good started to fade and the bad just kept getting worse i guess yeah was how i would say like and i I do want to like just dive quickly into our uh right away into our narrative style discussion here, because I want to get your opinion, Drew, on how she sort of justified this kind of switching narrator styles. Like, because I thought it, at first it had this, this this great kind of meta feel while kind of remaining almost whimsical in delivery. Like, the fact that Talon and Kieran disagree on where the story really starts, I thought was a neat way to justify the two different timelines. But I also wanted to get, you know, your opinion on that. What'd you think, dude? Yeah. So, uh, I will agree. That was a good touch for her to, to start off with by having a disagreement. And so we know from the get go that we're going to have unreliable narrators with this, right? You know, we're going to, we're going to have people telling these stories for their own reasons. And, uh, and you know, again, this is something that you can compare to the King killer Chronicle with Patrick Rothfuss, where, we're getting a story told, you know, in the first person for a reason with the innkeeper coat. You know, he has his reasons for telling the story he's going to. And similarly, Talon has those reasons and Kieran has those reasons in this. However, the, the result of this flip-flopping narrative here is that she tries really hard to uh, leave you off on like mini cliffhangers uh, at every single chapter. Hmm. And that gets old real fast, especially because the cliffhangers like don't ever have any oomph to them. There's no weight because like, and, and this is where, there's, this is where my a couple, sorry, go ahead. This is where my biggest issue uh, with it is, is that the transitions on both a chapter level and a scene level, and sometimes like a conversational level are atrocious (laughs) where they exist at all. 
she Lyons has no ability to move the reader through a scene. It like things just happen out of nowhere. There's no sense of conclusion to a scene before the next scene starts. There there's no um there's no transition in dialogue. You'll have scenes where somebody's having like a a, a lighthearted conversation and then just suddenly one of them gets really serious and and goes off on a completely different, you know, bent in the middle of this conversation and there's no conclusion to the first half of the conversation and the second half feels like it just came out of nowhere and it, it it's i mean especially after you know we're reading we're in the middle of reading the wheel of time and we just read foundry side and we just read a memory called empire we're reading books by authors who have a masterful ability to transition between scenes ruin of kings is jarringly like <laughs> jarringly bad i mean it it feels like, you know, and I hate to say this, it the scene transitions or lack thereof feel like the shitty fantasy novel I wrote in eighth grade. <laughs> <laughs> yes, then this is part of exactly what Drew was because we, we, we discuss the book that we're reading sometimes. We throw impressions back and forth as we're going through the week. And that was something that I told Drew. I'm like, dude, you have to make sure you say that on the episode because I got a good laugh. And I also very, very much understand and appreciate what you just said there a lot of times during this book i found myself stopping taking a step back and thinking like wow this is something that i could have seen myself writing in like seventh grade eighth grade like and you're right she's yeah. not very subtle with her with her uh transition between scenes and like I, there were times that i felt that she actually i, I won't say i really I don't know. I won't say it bothered me quite as much as it bothered you in this respect, because I, I found there were some scenes that I thought, okay, that cliffhanger did land for me, but they were still vastly outweighed by those that didn't. But I can, I can give an example, I think, for, um, for both sides of this argument. Uh -huh. For example, a scene that I found really, really awesome, I think came at the end of chapter 15, when things really started to ramp up, when, uh, when the Kraken caught up to them on the ship on the misery and things just really started to get out of out of control there you know we had uh Kamezra telling kieran saying look you're going to have to watch two wraiths back because both tyanso and myself are going to be completely distracted and using all of our abilities just to keep this ship from being ripped apart from you know having to withstand forces that it was never built to withstand i thought like the way that chapter ended was awesome because it felt momentous it felt like oh shit, like, it's it's really about to hit the fan. And then the next chapter had, you know, it was from Talon's story, and it had Kieran finally approaching the general, Milligreest, and, like, you know, his meeting with the general. So I thought, like, the pacing really, really picked up there. It was great. But to balance that, to, to give you a chapter that I felt ended very shittily and kind of pissed me off when it picked back up again, <laughs> was at the end of chapter 59 but I'm not going to say exactly what it was because the important part is chapter 61, the chapter right after the one in between 60. It begins, and uh, Drew, you didn't quite make it this far, but there was one particular great moment where, where Relos Far kind of arrives and you think, okay. oh, shit. like, uh-oh, how is Kieran going to get out of this one? But we also get this, this intermediary chapter that, you know, f flashes back to Talon's story. And then, then chapter 61 begins with Kieran thinking, wait, little brother and i thought huh little brother as if 
Rilla Sparrow said, well, I was like, I was, why is Kieran saying little brother? Why does that make any, that doesn't make any sense. And I was so confused. I kept reading the sentences beforehand, trying to get the context for why Kieran is thinking little brother with such confusion. And then I remembered that in chapter 59, it ended with Rilla's far arriving and calling him that. And I thought, well, damn it, lions. Like you can't yeah. just pick up in the middle of a conversation where the subject was given like 15 pages ago with no transition between them. It, like, at least remind us of the context before launching straight back into that same conversation. Or, like, or yeah, at least and... our, our protagonist's reaction to something he was told, two, like, two chapters previously, for fuck's sake. Sorry, go ahead. And, and, and it, this goes into another one of my biggest issues with this, is that because of this split narrative structure, the momentum and pacing is just all over the board. Momentum is somehow staggering. It, How do you have a staggering super, momentum? It doesn't make yeah, sense. It's, it's super disjointed. There's no real flow to get into when you're reading this book, especially if you're like, if you really care about one plot line and don't care about the other one. Yeah. Like, you know, some people will complain about, uh, you know, reading the wheel of time and they'll say like, Oh, uh, I, I hate parent chapters and I, I just want to skip parent chapters. And it's like, you know, okay, so, you know, and they'll complain that, like, oh, I'm I'm reading along this plotline, I get, like, four Rand chapters in a row, and then suddenly I have Perrin chapters, and I'm like, no, I just want to get back to Rand. Um, yeah. You know, that's one thing, but, you know, that's also, like, the way those books are structured, you have chunks of chapters. Yes. So you don't just have, like, a staggered, you know, thing. So you have a, a smooth momentum arc across whatever the five Rand chapters are, and then that leaves at a... A, uh, a logical cliffhanger usually and then you go to the parent chapters and you have a smooth momentum arc across those and that leaves at a cliffhanger and then and then maybe it'll go to Egwene and then it'll go to Elaine or something and then we'll get to the climax and we'll get like two chapter sections of each of those climaxes you know whereas in this it's just like staccato like doot 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 where you can't ever really get in a rhythm with either of the storylines because they're being constantly interrupted. And on top of that, the pace, the, the intra storyline pace is off kilter where like uh, Kieran's story, the pace picks up faster than it does in Talon's story where like you said, with the, the Kraken for instance, and, and the, the Maw, like the action picks up in Kieran's story there, like four chapters before the action picks up with Milligreest and the dinner and and everything going on with Kieran back in the capital. You know, like it's so so you're you're like lurching forward and back with each chapter for like a five, six, seven chapter span there. And mm. it's super off putting as a reader. Yeah, you know no. the, the the fact that she stuck to her guns and kept that sort of very rigid back and forth back and forth structure i felt like she really restricted herself narratively she really really did i like i that's just i don't know it uh yeah. it definitely lost a lot of impact for that reason for yeah sure. and then and so i i have a few few more uh style things i want to talk about yeah, and, and that is um what the the best purpose of this like alternating narrative style can do and and I'm going to once again use Patrick Rothfuss as an example of this. Sure. Um, what what the frame story versus Kvothe's story does in Rothfuss is it provides context 
like there's a conversation between scenes and, and between narratives there where you'll get hints and tidbits in Kvothe's story. And then you'll come back to the chronicler's point of view and something will happen in the inn that adds a new light to whatever happened in the Kvothe story that you just read, or it will provide foundational context for the Kvothe story that you're going to read in the next, whatever, five, six chapters. And in this, it, there's, there's no conversation between the narratives, at least through the first 220 pages. There's no conversation. There's no, there's no like, they feel completely um, isolated from one another, even though it's the story of the same person just at different points in his life. Like it, it feels like it would have been better served just putting it in chronological order and telling a you linear know? story. Yeah. Because there's no, there's no like added value okay, from having you know these. You're right. I, I was, I was kind of not sure if I would agree with that until at the very, very end, you said it didn't really add value. It didn't like stylistically didn't really lend anything to it. You're right. I think, it could have been told just as fine or even better in a linear fashion. Yeah. And and so what it Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, what go ahead. happens is that it comes across as lions like trying to be like avant-garde and showing yeah. off for for the sake of like showing off by and doing something like cool and new even though it doesn't come across as cool or new because other authors have already done it and done it better. Yeah. Like it, it it just like I I have severe problems with the structure of this book, um and and I and that's unfortunately not even the only structural issue I have with it because we haven't talked about the annotations in the end notes ah and ah. these you know to to make more comparisons I've you know maybe if I hadn't read other things in the past that had this kind of stuff like I've read House of Leaves and I've read Illuminae. And I think both of those do this sort of like meta commentary in book much, much better. Um, especially like house of leaves house yeah. of leaves is a, a, I mean a cult classic and, and it's, it has this multi-layered meta commentary over mm. the text and then the annotations. And, and there's, there is a discussion among narratives there. And like, but with this, the annotations and the endnotes basically uh, are, are two things. One, they are info dumps. They're, they're a lazy way for her to add just like world building information that at least again, through the first 220 pages added nothing to the value of my reading experience. I, I didn't care. I would read them and just be like, okay, all right, I'll see if I can remember that. And then, yeah. And I never even found myself having to go back and reread them because I'm like, oh, I missed something here. I need to go back and like, no, it didn't happen. And the other thing is that they were, when they weren't world building info dumps, they were super predictable, eye rollingly dumb uh, attempts at humor. Oh, at humor. Okay. Do you like, have, okay, sorry, go ahead. Like, like there would be a thing where like, uh, I'd, I'd be reading a sentence and uh, it's, it's with Kieran maybe talking to Moria and, and he says like, oh, this is the way things are. And as I'm reading, I see the little asterisk at the end of the sentence. And I know that the moment I click on that, it's going to bring me to a note. And it's just going to say, this is actually not the way things are in this like yeah. tongue in cheek, supposedly funny way. And it's like, 
everybody <laughs> and their mom knew that was coming. Like, <laughs> uh, see, I didn't find it as predictable as you seem to. There were a few points oh. with the asterisks that I found myself kind of chuckling along with the Rashad Dolores's kind of commentary there. Uh, one moment that comes to mind was when he was talking, uh, I think he was in Butterbean. Butterbean? Listen to me. Butterbelly's Butterbelly. shop. And he was trying mm-hmm. to uh, sell the one Vane Soulstone, and he was saying something about how it was as hard or as valuable as Diamond, and twice in a row we had Dolores just inserting that it was more, actually. And then, yeah. oh, it was harder, actually. <laughs> but yeah. like, but it, it didn't sound so... It didn't have, like, that kind of snarky tone that I inadvertently put on that one. Well, there. well and, like, and for, for instance, with those, like, what value does that add for us? If like, that means somehow, nothing. If you didn't have to click on it, because honestly, with the audiobook, it was actually awesome. Because in the audiobook, you know, the annotations obviously aren't going to come at the end. You don't have to click on anything. They're going to be inserted right in between that one line in the next appropriately. So in the audiobook, actually, those moments flowed pretty well because there was also a clear break in, like, the, the, the voice that's used for the narration as well. So, um, like, all the, like, for example, all, I doubt you listen to any part of the audiobook. No. Okay, so like this particular part I think is actually easier to stomach with the audiobook just because you have the separate narrative voices and the way they insert them so flawlessly. It's it almost it does kind of work a little more See, than to me page. like this is this is just like an an unnecessary like attempt by lions to say look at how clever I am. Oh, they were, they were the more efficient those. way would just be have Butterbelly say this is harder than a diamond. But, I mean, Butterbelly is also kind of trying to negotiate for a cheaper price on it. Well, but, like, you're in his head, though. You know, you can just have him, like, think about it. I remember him being, I remember Kieran being surprised that you were, that she actually had Butterbelly. That's right. Huh. Yeah, no, I I agree mostly with everything you just said. Yeah, like, I just, like, so much of this book on, on paper, like, so to speak, you know, to use the idiom, on paper, this book should be awesome and experimental and challenging and rewarding when in fact it is challenging but for all the wrong reasons and is not rewarding at all mm. like it's it, it was <sighs> i feel bad just like piling on but like this is the worst reading experience i've had in in years like i hated well, this book <laughs> this this is without a doubt in my mind the lowest quality book that we have covered yet on the inking out loud podcast may be the lowest quality book that we ever do cover unless and here's a i guess a little (laughs) bit of a sneak peek of what we're kind of planning for the future but drew and i may or may not be no promises delving into 50 shades of gray for a potential patreon exclusive episode in the future that kind of thing i don't know if if that's going i mean i think i think it is going to be worse i have read a tiny bit of that one i've tried I've I've read the first Fifty Shades book and you read the whole me, first book. You made it through it. It was it was uh, bad. It took me four attempts to get like halfway through. I just wanted to pour bleach in my ears and forget it ever happened. But anyway, that we're getting off track here. This book isn't yeah. that bad. It's not that bad. But I I really am not even remotely interested in continuing on with the second installment whenever it yeah. does come out. Like spend my time on better things. And, and so I, I want to like kind of address another part of like the world building and just the premise of the story and something that I'm finding myself increasingly wearied of. Okay. Wearied by, I guess. Uh, and that is what I have come to term 
whorehouse fantasy. Ah. It seems like every single new fantasy has to start out with an oppressed preteen or teen character in a brothel. <laughs> and, and like, I, I mean, it, it's been this summer, you know, I've, I've been kind of going through and reading some of like the free eBooks I can find places and just, you know, trying out new authors. And like the last four now, including ruin of Kings that I've picked up have all started the exact same way with a thief who lives or has family in a whorehouse. And I'm like, this trope is so fucking tired. Mm. It's it's just a lazy way for authors to be like, oh, look at how edgy and grimdark yeah. my world is. Like, oh, I have so like, many things to say. Be creative. Come up with different ways to have bad things happen to your characters. Like, sexual violence doesn't need to be the automatic foundation for grimdark. Like, it's it's so frustrating. And like, and so of these of these recent four books that I've I've been you know delving into, the only one that I'm gonna finish, the only one that I think is well written. It, that does this is a, a shadow in summer by Daniel Abraham. It's the first of the long price quartet. Oh yeah. Um, and it's, and it's because the, the like brothel side of things is handled in a very different way. The character who's in the brothel is like a, like a 65 year old woman who basically gets like forcibly hired to do the books for, for this, this guy who runs Damn. a brothel. Damn. Like it's, it's not about like teenagers, you know, it's not about prostitutes. It's about the accountant, okay. you know? And so, but even then, like I, I struggled through some of those chapters in that book, which I was enjoying a lot uh, because I'm like another freaking brothel, like come on, you know? And, and so the moment we started this one and, and Kieran goes back to where he lives and it's a, a velvet house. And I'm like, yep. All right. Like, here we go again. Oh, it's, how are they going to try to make it different this time? Yeah. And I, I mean, the other thing is like thieves, like, can we get over the thief? Like, yeah, I find it to be very, very overdone. Like it was overdone 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was like the, the, the big ones that's like kicked it off were like the lies of Locke Lamora and Mistborn. And then Mistborn suddenly is, everybody, yeah. everybody who wanted to write a, you know, a, a gritty fantasy had to have, make it about thieves. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. I, on on the subject of you know, the uh, whorehouse fantasy, I will say I, I I had definitely written this down as a specific point to bring up. There's just too much sexual stuff everywhere yeah. in this like book series. Seriously, it it seemed to me like Lyons can't go as much as like two pages without reminding us that she's also crude, and the mm-hmm. whole world is crude and it's full of sex and violence and sexual violence and it's. It's it, it feels to me like she's like she's almost trying to equalize this like the whole the entirety of the sexual gratification and violence coming from all published male authors and she's just trying to kind of <laughs> bring that balance up a little bit by going way overboard and way too many times and just trying to shock you shock you shock you shock you I just uh it it got boring to me Yeah it lost yeah. its shock value after like the first hundred times and the 500 that followed, I just rolled my eyes. I was like, okay, come on now. Yeah. It, it's just like, it's a, a trope at this point. It's a cliche in this genre. And I think authors need to just move on and, <laughs> and get a little more creative already. Yeah. Um, uh, but so my last like style point that I really want to talk about is 
is maybe the most baffling thing about this book. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I know all the ins and outs, all the details here, but I do know that Lyons was signed to a contract to release all five of the books in this series. She signed on for five already? And, and yeah, for like millions of dollars. And not only that, but they have a nine-month production and release schedule where each book is supposed to come out nine months apart. Okay, Rob, this, what the fuck are you doing? Which tells me she's already written this whole thing. Oh. Or at least she's written, like, the first three well, and is in the middle of the comparisons to Patrick Rothfuss. <laughs> um, the, but the, the thing that concerns me the most is that were it, like, were this the first book in the series and she signed a one-book contract and, like, maybe had an option for a trilogy depending on sales, you know, I would have more trust in her ability to learn and grow as an author and correct the mistakes she made in this book as she goes, the way we've seen Brandon Sanderson yeah. grow as an author, for instance, you know, he, he had major crutches and, and, uh, um, flaws in his early writing, you know, things like pacing and, and some, uh, some character issues and, and whatnot, but he just keeps getting better. Yeah. Whereas Jen Lyons, if she's already written all, all these books, because I'm sorry, like there's no way that she's like writing a book in the like four months it takes to then get it through editing and get it through publication and out the door into stores in nine months. Like, like there's no way she's, a lot of she's that doing time that. Would be best spent obviously just in review. If you have the actual rough, exactly. Like someone and, like Sanderson can review each of his books in two, three months apiece, but that's because it takes a lot of time to get that good. And, and Sanderson has a huge support structure, which I, like, I know a little bit about being a beta reader. Like, you know, he's got a crazy, um, editorial period on all of his books that even overlaps with him writing the draft. Like, like the way he does his Stormlight books, yeah. he'll finish like part one and send it off send to his it. editor mm -hmm. and then work on part two. And then when he gets feedback as he's getting later through the book, then he'll go back and like change things in a second draft. But like the... The, the thing with this, though, is like I have no faith that subsequent books in the series are going to be any better than this if she's already written them. Like, I won't I won't quite agree with that. I think a lot of a lot can be done in the revision process. Obviously, granted, if you have a big support structure, or at least, you know, adequate support structure, I, they could be better. I don't, I don't know. I just but don't better see, than this I don't still see the possibility in such a reading. short turnover rate nine months per book. Like, if they're on par with this, no, it's not worth my time at all. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, ah, I that, feel that like, just that just troubles wanna, me. Like, I, I when I find, when like, I heard that, I I was blown away. I want to compliment about. I want to like throw a few more compliments forward before we 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 get like back into the shit because I have a lot more to bitch about. Um, but first, I want to <laughs> make sure that you're done with sorry, uh, narratively speaking, like with your style discussion. Um. Yeah, I think I'm done. The main body of it for now until the, I, re I remind you of something else here and there. I'm yeah, sure. I think I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so, I will say, I felt like it, it like it started in a solid place. Like, with, for example, with Kieran's story. He's being sold as a slave. And 
suddenly the prices are skyrocketing. That whole scene did kind of lend itself to the like, whole out of control vibe. Like, oh crap, something is happening greater than my understanding. Um, okay. The, the, I also felt that the pacing of the story was quick, at least at the beginning, but it was still somehow unsatisfying. Like, I was totally like into the the book during Kieran's story when he's on the misery and the Kraken arrives and the like. The, the imagery of the ocean churning and frothing with pink, the sound of the whales screaming, like, the the kraken, it was, it was horrifying. The, the fact that it doesn't have suction cups, but it has teeth, like, that was, ugh, yeah. that was horrifying to read. I, f- I feel like lions can do grimdark if she does it in the right way. Um, But, I mean, that's really <laughs> one of the only compliments I have going forward. What about you, dude? Like, well, so I, I, I want to just kind of bring up, like, the the one line that I highlighted oh. in, in my copy. Yeah, okay. For a good reason. that I And I will admit, like, it, it made me laugh out loud. Uh, was when Kieran is, is going to uh, General Milligree's, you know, uh, estate. And he first meets Elidor. Ah. And, uh, and, and Kieran goes, does your mother know she shouldn't put her your hair in braids like that? People might think you're a girl. Yeah, <laughs> that was a pretty good one. That was a pretty good one. Um, yeah. Something also that pissed me off later in that same scene, or maybe it was the very next scene narratively that followed it, was the fact mm-hmm. that Kieran, first off, so for some reason he doesn't recognize Darman, uh, Darman, listen to me, Darzan Daman's name. I mean, Milligrist literally just told Kieran his name like minutes before that. The man who owns uh, Moria's sister, the guy who's so cruel. Like, it's all clicking together and Kieran's being a complete nincompoop. But what, where Kieran really pissed me off was when he decided not to tell Milligrist about Demond's summoning of the demon uh, because he thinks he won't be believed. Like, I, like Milligrist clearly hates Darzan Demond. Of course he would believe that. I just felt like that yeah. was... I wrote down at this point, I said, Seriously, Lions? Seriously, that is a fucking lame excuse. Like, I just, ah, uh, it bothered me. Yeah, it bothered me. No, I'm, I'm with you. There, there were, there were a lot of things that felt like contrived. This, and this goes to my like my earlier point about like transitions in scene and and narrative, and how like it it feels really obvious. Like Lion's hand on the story feels really obvious at points. Yep. Where like she she's writing a scene and realizes oh I need to move it to here so she just moves it and <laughs> and doesn't bother like building any kind of bridge between you know like and and uh, and things like that where where it's like a contrived way to direct the course of events instead of having it feel natural to what the characters are like. Agreed. Agreed. So. There, there's even lazy moments in descriptive writing that really pissed me off, okay? I know I said I wanted to get into more compliments here, but God, this, I've just got so much to bitch about, okay? There's a moment in chapter 33. So this would have been right around the spot that you end. I think you ended yeah. at 35 or something like that. Yeah, I, I left off at 35. When Kieran attempts to describe the immensity of the old man, and he says, take the largest creature you can imagine, at which point... I expected like a clever metaphor or or a simile or something to ex- like to the extent of 
the creature would be like a bird on the old man's shoulder. You know, something along that line, something creative. But instead, what lion, what lions offered us was take the largest creature you can imagine. The old man was bigger. I was like, seriously? <laughs> That's what you were building up to? What the fuck? <laughs> it pissed me off. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I do remember that. I, I remember, like, thinking I was like, that was, like, kind of a letdown. <laughs> God damn it. Um, and, and the way she did it with, like, an ellipses, too. It oh, wasn't... I, I couldn't tell. I, I was, I was yeah, on the Yeah, so the actual point. sentence is, like, take the largest creature you can imagine. Dot, ellipses. dot, dot. Really? The old man was larger. Oh, God. I'm like... <laughs> that's, that's, like, that's, like, like that's just not a good sense. To write a yeah. story right there. That's just... I will say, I will say, there was a line that followed that one very shortly that actually made me laugh out loud. I think it was, I think it was just after Kieran met Doc, or or maybe he, did you meet Doc? Um, he shows up on Yinistane as his swordmaster. No, you probably didn't meet him. I don't think so. No. Uh, okay, so it must have been uh, saying that to uh, to Wraith, but at one point he just stops and looks at Wraith and he says, "Kieran says." Just curious, has anyone ever told you you're an asshole? I don't know. It was a very, like, startlingly real thing to say to somebody in, in a very hectic moment that kind of relieved attention for me. I will say, I thought she sounds like uh, with that one. Sounds like something the horse witch would say to Kane. Right? There are, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, should we discuss, <laughs> are any of these characters even worth discussing on an individual level? Um, I, I do think so. Yeah? Uh... I have a so couple Kieran, I want to discuss. Yeah, sure. Like, I mean, we have to talk about Kieran. I guess we have to. Yeah. Um, and and I'll to. say this for Kieran. Like, he is a fine enough main character. Um, there are points when I found fine myself, enough. like, interested in him. And, and, like... But my biggest issue is that I didn't care about the stakes for him. I never felt like there was much momentum or much of a, like, an, a goalpost for him through the first like half of this book. Um, I, I never, I never really cared what happened to him, especially because of the way it's framed where we know he's not going to die because the book starts with him telling his story. And I didn't care enough or like him enough to be bothered by non-death things that could happen to him, especially because the demon deal in the middle of the street happens so early on. Yeah. You know, that like, it, it was like lions hit you with a sledgehammer of, of like consequences for Kieran. And then, and and then everything after that just feels like meh. Yeah. You know? Um, but, but yeah, so, so with Kieran, uh, you know, as I was saying, um, I, I never felt much, um, like pressure in, in the stakes of his story in either, uh, narrative because in the one narrative, he just came from slavery and has already been abused and all of this stuff, you know, he's not going to die. And in, and in the other narrative, he has this like horrific, um, you know, like demonic experience where he's like forced to see himself doing all of these horrible things. It's like, all right. Um, like why, why do I care? Why do I care about this character? 
and I know I made a you know yeah. I made a comparison earlier in the episode to Malazan, and and I had a, a very similar thing with reading Gardens of the Moon. The three times I tried to get through that book, I just never cared about the characters. Yeah. I didn't I didn't have any reason to connect with them, and and that is you know that is very much the case with Kieran in this book because I never felt there were real stakes for him established from the mm-hmm. get go. Like there's like that opening scene where there's something like, you know, he caused the burning of the capital with like, you know, capital B capital C. And I'm like, okay, oh, that's an attempt capital. at establishing stakes, Okay, but I don't know or care about what the capital is. So like it, it, using the world as like a driver damage to the world as a driver for for stakes only works if the people are your readers are invested in your world and that's something that for instance Stephen R. Donaldson does very very well in the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant where he has one of the most unlikable main characters you will ever read but you still root for him because you know he's the only one who can save the land and you love the land Hmm. so like there's just none of that here Interesting. And and I know some people who really love Malzahn will say, yeah, you know, it's not a character-driven story. It's a plot-driven story. It's about the history and wars of this world. And I'm like, okay, cool. So those people got really invested in the world. There's nothing like that here to to get invested with, right. like, for, for me. Because the world, anytime you try to engage <clears throat> with it, you're just buried under a mountain of random terms and names that come with no context attached and you, again, don't care about. So, like... It's it's just an immediate failing in this story that from the get go there was nothing for for me to latch on to as a reader. Hmm. Well, and going- Kieran is like emblematic of that because like yeah. he's as a person he's fine. Like I, I don't I don't have anything necessarily against him as a person. He's not a character that I like hate because of his actions or you know whatever. But like I just don't really care about him because I don't feel there there are stakes attached to his character that I should care about. Hmm. Well, going forward with, uh, with Kieran specifically, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Like Kieran, I, I kept waiting for that reason to give a shit about Kieran. And mm-hmm. for me, it wasn't so much about him, but it was about who he was trying to, for example, it was Talia. He, like his, a lot of his narrative is him, trying to figure out his feelings of guilt with Moria's death and, and how he can perhaps find some redemption, perhaps, in yeah. attempting to keep his promise and find her sister and, sa- mm-hmm. and save her slave sister. That was something that gave me reason to care about Kieran's story. But that wasn't for Kieran. It's, again, like, Kieran as, as a character, I found him to be appropriately witty, perhaps a little willfully ignorant. Um... He he's fine to read. He he's not boring. I don't. I wouldn't call him boring. But there, again, there's no. not a lot of reasons. There aren't many reasons that Lyons gave us to actually care about where he's going or even why. Yeah, this is happening the, to him. Like the closest I came to really caring and being intrigued by Kieran was that first conversation with uh, Teraith and Kamezra. It's Kamezra, right? Yeah, Kamezra. Yeah, uh, that her name, like, it just 
Really? I really For some reason, every time I read her name, it was just like a <laughs> jumble of letters. That was something um, that Drew actually wrote to me, too, when he tried to say write Kermesra's name. He just wrote, like, K-A-Z, and then just mashed the keyboard for about 40 sentences or 40 <laughs> characters and said, however the fuck you spell her name. That gave me a good laugh. Uh, but it, it was that first conversation when you find out more about who Relis Var is. Mm. And How dangerous the fact is. that Relis Var is so interested in Kieran, that was like... That was the moment that I felt the hook was set for me. Okay. But I was never drawn in after that. Like maybe maybe there like there's a point later in this book where like that line gets pulled taut and you're reeled in, but that I never got there. I lost interest long before that. Uh, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, no. Um yeah, I don't know. There were there were a lot I still want to I still want to bitch about more things, but um uh, Kieran, have we have we pretty much wrapped up our discussion of Kieran? Is there anybody else you want to move on to, um, um, specifically? I I'm done with Kieran. The only other real like character notes um that I have are like uh I thought Morio was an interesting character, but obviously that didn't last. Mm. Um, and then uh, Relos Var was probably the coolest part of this book for me. Um. Really, had you never a little saw bit him of except that. for in one single scene. Well, well, yeah, because he he has that air of mystery. It's ah. it's a to to draw back to a, a recent book we read, like like a Crusades the Great kind of this threat waiting in the wings. Yeah, like like a an inconceivably ancient and powerful mysterious figure. Like, oh, yeah. okay, you don't even know anything about Relis Far at the point that you're at. You learn about yeah. a lot more about his his history. It's even more intimidating than than. You know what this yeah. point, trust me. It's actually so, cool. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like he's the coolest part of this book to me. Hmm. So Well, I, I did want to discuss you hold on, you'd never met uh Gallen. Gallen. Uh uh fucking uh, uh I don't Darzin think so. Demon's other son. Um No? Okay. I uh, he, don't... he was Pretty good character so. Your heart just bleeds for this poor kid. Darzan Damon has another son who was originally supposed to be the the Lord Heir, and uh, Darzan really, really mistreats him because of how soft he is and how kind he is. He he kind of reads like Renarin from the Stormlight Archive a little bit. Uh, Darzan okay. was was a kind of it, it was he was a character that you kind of just feel really bad for at least at the point where I am like, like I said I made it seventy one percent or something like that of the way through this narrative so for all I know he's a big bad guy too but he reads very sympathetically he's a very sympathetic character and it, it's tough to be in his head when his father treats him like that um, but somebody I actually got really excited about discussing was Tyanso the witch who originally okay. summoned the demon and, and gashed Kieran, because at this point where you're at, Drew, at around chapter 35 or something like that, she really hasn't started her whole kind of attempt at redemption yet, but she does going forward, and she is hands down the most, uh, I would say, interesting character, you know, past where you're at, because she definitely has a lot of moments when she, for, on Yenistane, on the island, she has a lot of one-on-ones with Kieran, um, as he's, you know, training with the Black Brotherhood, by the way. The name, the Black Brotherhood. Yeah. Oh my god, when I read that for the first time, I actually, well, I, he I heard it for the, per the first time, I actually paused my audiobook and just looked at the wall in front of me going, wow. But anyway, 
Uh, <laughs> Ty Anso, you know, she she has a lot of moments later on when she's she decides I'm gonna try and help Kieran. You know, because the, he's he's caught between the Black Brotherhood and Relosvar. He's trapped on the island by this, you know, the old man, the dragon. She kind of sympathizes for him, and she starts questioning a lot about her past decisions and a lot of evil things she's done in the past. And she decides to try and help him, and kind of make amends in that way. And she does do a lot to sacrifice for him in the future. Like you know, uh, Tyanso to me felt like one of the only multi-dimensional characters in this book. What did you think of Tyanso? At least with the limited experience that you had with her. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I didn't really give her much, um, like attention, but you do raise a good point there. Um, you know, she, she was certainly the most dynamic of dynamic, the, like, yes. the crew, you know, um, like, like she has stuff to at least like engage with as a reader in her character. She's not just like a, a cardboard cutout of, you know, like a slave owner or a, you know, whatever. And, and, uh, or, or even like, she's not a cardboard cutout of like a, you know, an eccentric witch, you know, she, she has <laughs> yeah. like, there's, there's more to her than just that. So that is a good point. I'll, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but th- that's pretty much the end of my character uh, discussion here, or at least the points I have made about specific characters. I think if I find more, I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah. No, that's fine. Um, I'm, Shall we continue with our bitching though? Uh, well, I'm, I'm pretty much done with my, my commentary on this book. I think. Wow. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna throw some, some final thoughts in. Yeah. No. Go I'll, for I'll, it. I've got. We are at like, uh, we're getting close to about fifty minutes here, so. Yeah. Uh, I want to say I want to give compliment to the audiobook narrators. They did a wonderful job on this book, uh, for the most part. There were a few questionable things, but but the audiobook narrators did a fantastic job. There was a moment oh. at one point when uh, one of the female audiobook narrators, I don't know who it was, um, but there was a line, for example, when a character was was in a very tense situation and they were described as licking their lips before they spoke their next sentence and you can actually hear the audiobook narrator doing just that oh <laughs> like it was it was very very good like they they have strong voices i think they they are too good for this book i will say that much so too. i i actually have a question about that did they have yeah. like a female narrator for talon's story and a male narrator for kieran's you nailed it okay. you absolutely that's interesting nailed it. that's a good a- touch they had a female for Talon's story, and they had a male for Kieran's story. Uh, I will say, I I was really underwhelmed with the voice that the uh, the male narrator gave during Kieran's story to the old man. I was very disappointed with that because oh. I was expecting something, you know, th- th- what what they what he gave us was just like this kind of throat rasping whisper. It was like, "I am the old man." It was oh. it, it was it was horrible. It was like a like. How is it that this this <laughs> dragon the size of an island sounds like a 90-year-old asthmatic? I was like, what the hell am I listening to? I was I was thinking it should be like a like a deeper bass rumble, you know, something like a, along, like what, something uh, along Stephen the did for a mile cough. Yes, or or something even more with more more rumble to it, something like a something like okay. that. I right. am the fire. Something something <laughs> bigger something with more more earth to it not th- this it it, it not, sounded not painful. like a, a geriatric smoker yeah yeah it was, <laughs> i don't know 
Um, so yeah, I, I discussed the uh, the narrators. They did a fantastic job, except for that just that one little nitpick that I had. Okay. Um, and a couple of just just these winning one liners that we had. Uh, for example, I think it was Gowlin. I want to say who who was worried that Kieran was going to tell their father he did something bad. Uh, when Kieran like stumbled upon him doing something that he wasn't supposed to so, do. So I just, I just want to say you're saying Gowlin. Gal, uh, yeah, I think it was Gallen. I, I might like, be so misremembering I, it. I think I did meet him, but it, I pronounce it Galen. Galen, yeah, G A L E N. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I was just thrown off by your pronunciation. Gallen, so I started writing it down G A L L O N or G A L O N, like talent. Yeah. But then I actually read the book from like forty percent to seventy percent, and I actually saw the the thing there. I, for some reason, I just kept pronouncing it the way the audiobook did. But yeah, Galen. Okay. Sorry. So gotcha. you did yeah, meet yeah, him, yeah. I think. Yeah, uh, very briefly. I think yeah. I met him like maybe the chapter before I left off. Maybe two chapters before I left off. Yeah, but but the, the, this line in question here was was when I think it was Kieran stumbled across you know Galen Galen doing something he thought he wasn't supposed to be doing, and he was he expressed worry, concern that Kieran was going to tell their father, and and Kieran just oh. goes. What, you kidding me? Tell Darzan Daman? I wouldn't tell him to wipe shit off his face. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. That made me laugh pretty good. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good one. That's base that's um, almost like a like a like a cane level insult there. Like I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. And and then um sorry, you sounded like you were about to go off on a point there. No, no. No? Okay. Um well I still have more to bitch about now, uh, since we're on here. These goddamn the the the, over, the overly complex uh, twists and the the mysteries surrounding the actual lineage <laughs> of literally every single character that we have here, like oh yeah my, oh my god. For example, I have a I have a quote here. I have two quotes here. The first one: He was our great great uncle. His mother was this Vane slave with golden hair who was murdered by one of the family. So she gave birth to Pedrin's sister Tashar. So this Vane slave had three children, right? Pedrin, Tashar, and Theron's father. Uh, no. Theron's father was Pedrin's half-brother. My mother says that Pedrin owned your mother, that is, Lirillin, you know, before she married our father. And I stopped at this right at this point to write down, Oh my god, I don't fucking care. <laughs> I, I don't care about any of this fucking soap opera bullshit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and another one from, like, two chapters later. Kieran, ha he finds out something crazy, something amazing. He goes... My mother is the Vane queen? And Doc goes, no, your mother is a Vane handmaiden, or was a, a Vane handmaiden, possessed by the soul of a Vane queen. Or, Maya was a traitor and an assassin, as she attempted to kill the queen, and you are her son. Although, since King Kalanis is probably the one who ordered Maya to assassinate his sister, Queen Kariel, I guess that makes you the son of a patriot too. Vane politics get complicated. And then he smirks, and he says, you might want to draw up a chart. And I stopped to write down, and I might want to throw this fucking book into a fire, Jen Lyons. <laughs> Jeez, with this. Oh. I, I, uh, it just, it's so fucking much. I just, I, this is what, that right there is why I stopped reading this book. Yeah, I, I, I don't blame it. you. It's <laughs> I, just, I didn't get that far. It's so. a genealogical <laughs> fucking lecture every other page. It's like, oh my god. Yeah. It drags. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, shall we uh shall we move into the final draft here? Yeah, I think we we've, we've we've pooped on this book uh 
adequately. Yeah, we, we just spent like 55, 56 minutes just absolutely trashing this book, so. <laughs> yeah, we did. Hey, this is what you listen for. This is a review, not a lecture. Yeah. <laughs> we tell you what we think. And, and perhaps... I'll, I'll tell you, like, this was a cathartic experience for me. I, I feel like a weight has come off my shoulders. Yeah? I can just put this book behind me now and, and never give it any attention ever again and just move on with my life. At least until someone comes up to you later and calls us both sexist for not liking this fucking book for whatever reason. Oh, well, if somebody says that, that's their problem. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, final draft. Yeah, uh, what do you got for me, Rob? <laughs> okay, so I figured since we are dealing with the, the lousiest, cheapest, dumb... No, I wouldn't want to say cheapest. Apparently, she's paid a lot of money for it. But just the lowest yeah. quality, the lowest tier book that we have yet discussed on this podcast. I figured it was only appropriate for me to bring to the podcast the cheapest, shittiest beer that I could possibly find. This is something I didn't know existed until recently. Up here in Canada, we have a brand of... I guess groceries you could find all over the place called No Name with a very, very basic yellow label. And what I have here, my man, is a No Name beer. It's just so, called beer. <laughs> it's just called beer. I wish you could see this this box beside me. It's literally, oh it looks gosh. like a movie prop. It's just a brown <laughs> bottle with a, a, a yellow label slapped on it that just says beer. That's all it says. And oh then below my gosh. it, the French translation, beer. Wow. That's all it is. <laughs> and, oh, it also says 5% alcohol by volume. That's all it says. <laughs> all right. And if I were to describe how this beer tastes, I would say if, if, if wet bread was a drink, it would be this. Okay. All right. So, yeah. I mean, that's basically all, all that needs to be said about it. It's no name right. beer. So I think it fit our book of the week perfectly. What are you drinking, dude? So... I brought in a uh, a milkshake IPA. Ooh, I've had one of those. Uh, brewed with apricot, peach, vanilla, and lactose from Four Noses Brewing Company in uh, in Denver. Well, and I guess it's like technically Broomfield, it's a suburb of Denver, um, <laughs> in Colorado. And unlike the Ruin of Kings, this is uh, <laughs> a really balanced beer. Oh, okay. it, it uh it adapts a myriad of flavors well together it's not jarring it doesn't leave me hanging and it is altogether satisfying and also unlike the ruin of kings i don't get annoyed as hell every time <laughs> i see the word velvet on it and this is called apricot velvet oh man well done, my man. At least you still managed to, to salvage some part of this episode. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I was going to try for a different beer. I was going to go for Ruination IPA from Stone. Oh. But, uh, yeah, because obviously the name, but also I feel like Ruin of Kings is just a, like the ruination of the written word. and. Uh, <laughs> but... I unfortunately couldn't find any of that, so I, I ended up going with Apricot Velvet. Oh. Um, but yeah, uh, so, that said... <laughs> this has oh, been a man. fun episode, at least. It's been very it, fun. It has. This is, what, episode 33? 32? 33? Shit! 
I think it's 32. No, wait, hold on. Hold on. I don't even know. I feel like I need to uh, pull up. No, it's 33, because I'm pretty sure 32 was the end of the Dragon Reborn. That sounds right. Well, let's just, uh, let's just call it episode 33, and if it's not, uh, listeners, make fun of us. It's definitely 33. Uh, (laughs) If I'm wrong, Pat will insert a noise right here. (laughs) Um, yeah, so, so, um, obviously, you know, (laughs) episode 33 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, next up, though, we are going back to the Wheel of Time. We are going to be covering chapters 1 through 21 of The Shadow Rising. We're going to have a, a returning guest, and we're also going to have a new special guest who is reading The Wheel of Time for the first time. <laughs> so unlike our previous Wheel of Time episodes, uh, this one will not be a spoiler zone. Uh, we're going to try to keep it as spoiler-free as possible to respect um, my friend's uh, reading experience. So just uh, keep that in mind for that one. But it will be, like I said, through chapter 21 of The Shadow Rising. Um, And yeah, if if you want to uh, get early access to that, as Rob mentioned at the top of the show, you can check out our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. We got four tiers. We got lots of great benefits. And all that money goes straight toward paying our support system, our sound engineer, our artist, and uh, we are in the works on a website as well. So hopefully we can... in improve your engagement experience with uh our podcast and uh yeah so as always i'm your host drew mccaffrey and with me is my co-host rob santos (laughs) (laughs) and uh thanks for joining us we'll catch you next time bye-bye